Welcome to the first episode of our podcast. We're three Mac geeks based in the northwest of England. And I'm Mike Thomas. And I'm Mike Burke. And I'm Elaine Giles. We're also recent switchers from the world of Windows. And to begin with, we'd like to introduce ourselves and tell you a little bit more about us. So, Elaine, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into the Mac. Well, I've got Adobe to thank for my conversion from 15 years of working with PCs. Um, in April last year, that's 2006, I went to an Adobe event uh, locally. Um, they were showing Photoshop CS2 at the time. And at the end of the event, they took 20 minutes and said, we'd just like to show you a new application we're working on at the moment. Um, it's an application that's since been released. It's called Lightroom. And it was amazing. It was one of those applications that you didn't know you needed it until you saw it and then you couldn't live without it. And the fantastic thing was at the time it was in beta and it was um, one of the first Adobe free betas and it was going to be free until at least Christmas. So I was sat there, I was making notes, I was so excited. And right at the end of the presentation, the stinger was, by the way, it's only available for the Mac. And it was like, oh, and then I thought, right, there's only one thing for it, I'll buy a Mac. That was Tuesday. Uh, by Friday, I'd reserved one. And by Saturday, it was on my desk and it was about to change my life. The first Mac I got was a 20-inch Intel iMac. In November last year, I added the, to that a MacBook Pro 17-inch. And in December, I upgraded to a 24-inch Intel iMac. So that's my Mac story. Over to you. Well, my first foray into the world of the Mac was uh, also in April 2006. Um, as Elaine says, when we bought a, an Intel-based 20-inch iMac. And when Elaine decided to upgrade to a 24-inch iMac in December 2006, the 20-inch uh, became mine, so I've not looked back since. I've still got a PC, which I need for the odd task, and uh, working for a team who provides IT training and support to 60,000 PC and Windows users worldwide, I still get my daily dose of Windows and its associated problems. In fact, it's a bit ironic, really, because in my day job, I work for one of the biggest IT companies in the world. No, not Apple, but IBM. And my mission is to convert 60,000 people to Macs. And why did I switch? Well, having seen the Mac in action, I realised that it can do all the things a PC can, and more, faster, easier, and with less grief. So what about you, Mike? Um, what made you become a, a Mac user? I tell you what, though, you two have just put me to such... Puts it all into perspective, though. Me being the little, I'm the little home user. I'm the little, I'm the little modest home user. That's you know, you you two are using it uh, professionally, and you know, when you're heavily involved with uh, the IT industry professionally yourselves. Uh, for me, uh, computing was all just purely my own personal hobby. Problem is with Windows PCs, and I've been using Windows PCs for years and years. You know, since uh, 311. It, it wasn't my own hobby. Because most of my time was spent f either fixing my computer or fixing other people's computers. I got fed up to the back teeth of fixing computers and cleaning hard drives that have got infested with viruses. Uh, you know, everything that getting corrupts for people. I must admit, mine, I never saw a virus. I was kept myself safe in that respect. But the number of times I was wasting my life away fixing other people's computers. And why did I switch to the Mac? It's because... The Macs, for me, for my mind, had all this uh, reputation, this wonderful reputation of being used by creative people. And I had, a, you know, I have, people looked at me as being, okay, Mike's 
pretty tech savvy. You can fix computers if for him. Every time our computer breaks, we'll take it to Mike. But on the other occasion, someone say, "Well, where's your website, Mike? How come you've not got your own website up?" And really, it's because one, I, I never had the time to do it because I was always breaking down and fixing things. And for two, the software applications that were available to me, I, I did try. I mean, good for bit. I tried Microsoft Front Page, and you know, and that there was not that uh, creative element that felt as if I was, you know, I wasn't in a creative world. And when I first uh, visited a customer of mine who worked in publishing and I got a little bit of a, an insight when I spent an hour with him completely, you know, forgetting what, what I should be doing uh, on that particular job. And I spent an hour with him and he sat me down and I, want, I, I knew then that I wanted one. I knew then I could see that uh, this it was a creative world and uh, some of the ideas that I've got at the back of my mind that I wanted to bring forward and, and I, I wanted to release myself from this burden of a forever repairing stuff so that is why I switched to the Mac and I got my first Mac I got my, an iMac G5 iSight the last generation of the G5 iSight uh, iMacs and I've now recently upgraded to this beautiful beautiful MacBook Pro I've got the latest Santa Rosa chipset in the MacBook Pro it's the the 15-inch screen with the LED backlit display, and I'm in heaven. That's me. Okay, well, thank you. That's uh, a bit about us. And now it's time for the news. Okay, everybody, it's now time for the news. This week's news for weekend in Friday the 5th. Uh, I think there's a few important things that we could discuss. Uh, first of all... Uh, news coming out now from Apple is about the shipping of uh, the next version of OS 10, Leopard 10.5. Uh, we're expecting it now, or the latest rumours are that it's going to be coming out the 26th of October. Now, as you possibly can realise, 26th of October is the same time as uh, Expo is uh, in London, in Olympia. Uh, so there could be a nice bit of a fanfare going on there to launch it. I'll be taking photos of the pretty girls, won't I? Uh, also note that uh, really if you're planning on upgrading to 10.5 Leopard uh, there could be uh, some issues with if you've got some older uh, computing equipment. The latest information coming out from the beta testers are that this last pre-release version that they've been given is uh, listing as system requirements with a minimum of a G4 running at 867 MHz or faster. So some of the older Macs out there could be uh, eliminated from uh, worthy of uh, upgrading into the, to the new version. So bear that in mind. Elaine, what do you think? Uh, and Mike, did you think you'll be queuing up to delve into getting installed in Leopard straight away? What do you think? You know me, I'm always queuing up at Apple for something. <laughs> yeah, probably. But yeah. for me, I read a story earlier in the month, um, somebody at Adobe who said um, that CS3 wasn't completely tested with it yet which for me would be a deal breaker i need access to cs3 so uh, whereas i was thinking i'll be there midnight launch day um, i'm now thinking ooh, maybe not um, of course i've got two macs so i might try it on the macbook pro um, just to see the nice new features i saw a couple of screenshots of the new version of preview which had some fantastic features in it and um, they've added a lot of stuff that isn't in um, isn't automatically in um, Adobe Reader. You can't, for instance, in Adobe Reader mark up a PDF file unless it's been made 
that way to give you access rights to do so. But in preview, they've added the features and you can do that. They've also taken a feature from iWork in Keynote and Pages called Instant Alpha um, and added it into preview. So if you've got an image that you've taken from somewhere and it's on a white background or a black background and you're trying to overlay it on another colour, there's literally a tool in there that you just click, drag and it takes away the background colour, which is fantastic feature. Um, Photoshop you can do it obviously but it's not quite as slick as that. Can so I'm looking forward to like, it. Sounds like version uh, it, issue one has been sold already then doesn't it? Mm. You, oh I, I'm there I'm there. Mentally I'm there. Whether I can actually get it on the machine and keep my software that I've already got working remains to be seen but I'm Mike. confident. But Mike, what you, this issue about CS3 not being fully tested, I mean, what's your take on that? Well, I think that uh, they should sort out the problems uh, pretty quickly because uh, it can be a showstopper for a lot of people. Uh, it's something that they need to do. Uh, changing subjects slightly, as still with Leopard, obviously, there's some uh, pretty good features that I'm looking forward to, one of which is to do with calendar synchronisation. Um, it's it's something that I've I've been looking at, um, being able to have a, a password protected area, um, to, to to access your calendar remotely, your iCal. Um, there are one or two uh, third party apps that can do that, but it would be nice to have that built into the operating system. So for me, it's it's not a must have, but it's something that I would find very very useful. But really, we're going back to the fact that. It sounds like all three of us are going to be queuing up. <laughs> oh, we'll be, be there. It'll be a late night, won't it? Or an early morning. You know, after, I mean, after coming from the Windows world and all the operating system releases that I've been through with uh, with Microsoft Windows, even though every time I always said, oh, no, I won't get it, install it straight away, I'll wait for all the bugs to be fixed, I never did. I was, I, I became a perpetual beta tester, really. I was installing it, you know, first time, every time. Uh so yeah. Back I know what Mikey T is thinking now. He's thinking back to nineteen ninety five and we were there at PC World seven o'clock in the morning and we bought <laughs> Windows ninety five. Obviously since then we've come to our senses. But the other day as I was tidying up I even found the T shirt. The one no that way, said no. Yeah, oh, I did, I did. Windows ninety five T shirt. It all starts here. We did, we came out of PC World with our box of floppy disks. <laughs> yeah, eight floppy disks. <laughs> Those were the days. Moving on. Moving You're embarrassed on. now, aren't you? Yeah, no, I, honestly, I feel... I'm, I'm jealous I've not got the T-shirt. I, I mean, I said I've been there and done that, but I've not got the T-shirt. I'll bring it to our next Mac club and we can have a sacrificial burning. Oh, no, no. <laughs> They'll be throwing alcohol on it, won't they? <laughs> Another little story. Well, a big story. Big story. Uh, I guess that a lot of us are uh, in the Apple ecosystem pretty fully really we've got the iPods and we like using iTunes uh, Amazon has now finally uh, or not finally Amazon is possibly you know being the one that can finally pose a real threat to iTunes dominance uh, with online purchasing of digital music For, well, it, I mean questions are now is this possibly going to be an iTunes killer because I'll just summarise it what it is Amazon.com unfortunately it isn't a beta test at the moment and it's not available outside the US but Amazon.com in the US and now we're offering their customers mp3 downloads and the important thing to note is that there's it's lots of popular music the big labels are there uh, the same music that you can see on, on the iTunes store uh, not the same amount yet but still there is quite a lot there I'm not sure how many millions of tracks it is but the important thing to note is 
this is DRM free music all of it is DRM free as you know with iTunes there is the iTunes plus service so it's DRM free music it's also um, encoded with mp3 uh, 256 bit encoding which is better quality than the normal stuff that you get off uh, iTunes and it's even cheaper as well it's only 89 cents a, a song uh, on the run-of-the-mill price for current uh, release albums you know for recent release albums is $8.99 $8 so it's even better value than uh, the iTunes store uh, where you know it's DRM and not as good quality what my worry is and what my concern is no, I suppose it's my I'll just say what my feelings are that yeah I think it's great that there is some competition for Apple and makes them possibly uh, sit up and think well you know we've got to do something now and but why is it that it was Apple that's I don't know I was under the impression that it was Apple that was pushing the record companies to go DRM free it now seems to be that you know Apple managed to get EMI on board but they didn't get managed to succeed in getting anyone else on board for DRM free and yet Amazon.com have now got other record companies allowing them to do DRM free tracks how has this happened surely you know as Steve Jobs now upset everybody uh, I mean, there's the issue with the iTunes store with NBC and Universal taking you know taking their video uh, stuff away from iTunes do you think Steve Jobs has, uh, has had, you know has started to upset a few more people what do you think well um, I agree with you about the DRM free um, I know there's been talk about going DRM free in um, iTunes and I thought like you did that Steve Jobs was pu pushing that way and that for them to jump on board with somebody else seems odd. Um, the fact it's uh, higher quality or whatever, to be honest, if it's an album and it's it's a sort of current album or a newish album, I'm more likely to buy the CD. Um, I think it's a perfect backup and then I can do what I like with it um, in terms of ripping it. I can do whatever quality I want, etc. I'm more likely to buy the CD. Where I've actually bought things from iTunes is where it's not easily available. Maybe it's um, old stuff, classic kind of stuff. Um, I haven't. I, I've bought things that are unique from there. So I've bought some things from uh, Live from London and that kind of stuff. So when they've got something unique, I'm likely to buy it. The DRM doesn't bother me to be honest. You know, I'm not trying to share it with anybody else. I'm playing it through iTunes. I'm playing it on an iPod. I'm not trying to do any unlocking, anything clever. It just works. So it really doesn't bother me. I think it's more of a theoretical issue. In theory, if I sat and thought about it, like Google Videos that recently um, had issues when they shut up shop and people then couldn't play the videos that they'd bought, it's more of a theoretical issue for me. I'm not trying to do anything clever with it. Um, will it affect iTunes? iTunes just works. And with Amazon, I'm, I'm not sure. Obviously, it's in America. We can't test it over here. What happens? Is it a sort of download? Is it, is it how do you manage the things? The things with iTunes is it's just one app and it does the lot. It sorts out the organisation, etc. You can back it up. It just does everything. I'm not sure that people don't actually just want the convenience of iTunes and they'd rather not have the DRM. I'd, I don't I'd, think it will kill it. I'll agree that uh, iTunes is a nice will to be in it's a nice convenient will to be in it it's an application that's on your computer rather than having to go to a website and others you know other companies have failed in trying to sell this but 
what Amazon have done as well, I must point out as well, not only have they you know, published this stuff DRM free, they also include uh, for a little free download uh, a little download manager application and the download manager application they suggest that is to help you when you're downloading uh, all the tracks of an album at once uh, to give you you know the status of each tracks download uh, but it also that download manager gives you the click a uh, couple of clicks facility to copy your freshly downloaded mu you know, your newly downloaded music uh, from the Amazon store straight into your iTunes library and off you go you then import it into your iTunes library and you back in the world that you normally use and reading from the reports coming out of uh, you know some of our you know uh, Apple friends you know in, in America Apple fans in America who are you know used to using iTunes themselves they're giving a go on this Amazon store and they can't believe it because they're getting better quality music DRM free that they can easily just import it into their iPod and uh, you know and they're not it's not having an, an effect on them. They've, Amazon have finally, you know, out of all the other people that have had a go at doing this, at selling online music, it looks like Amazon have actually come up with a solution that is actually easy to use. Okay, it's not the excellent searching facilities that you've got within iTunes uh, and all the extra features that iTunes is giving you with your TV shows, your podcasts and things like that. iTunes is, is, is an ecosystem in itself. But uh, this MP3, I don't know, Mike, what do you think? I mean, I, I think it's... Uh, if they release it further afield, I think it's got a big. It, it has, but I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Elaine on this one that um, most of my music is is just taken off CD, so I use iTunes for uh, for bringing it in and managing it, transferring it to the iPod. I do very little downloads uh, personally, but uh, but as an alternative to iTunes, I I think Apple should be. Uh, I don't know about the word concerned, but it's uh, it's certainly a viable alternative, yeah. Definitely, definitely. So that's it's going to be interesting it to is. see how that pans out. Uh, especially the fact that others have failed miserably. Uh, it's now interesting. What for me, what interests me most is the fact that other the record companies who haven't yet offered their music DRM free through iTunes are now offering their music DRM free through Amazon. And I thought that uh, you know, with Steve Jobs. Uh, Gonna, you know, has been an upset a few people. And that's what I was thinking there, but I'm sure it's uh, possible. Anyway, next little story. Uh, we can't go a week recently without mentioning the iPhone. Sorry, you know, it just had to happen. But there's another little story coming out about the iPhone. We've all been told uh, recently that we've got an iPhone release set for November the 9th for both the UK and for Germany. But uh, we were also, you know, hearing on the grapevine that. Uh, our friends over in France, uh, friends. No, some people in uh, France have got the opportunity to get in the iPhone soon as well. Uh, but all those rumours, or you know, those even people uh, high up in uh, the telecommunications company Orange, were, were stating that deals were signed. Looks like they may well be backtracking now because uh, there could be a couple of sticking points, and it all goes down to some French law. Uh, seemingly French, of, uh, I don't know how, but in the European Union they've got seen to have different laws to do with these markets of these products and their communications laws over there state uh, that a, a mobile, a cellular phone must be offered in an unlocked version and a locked version so therefore what we're getting at is that the cellular uh, phone carriers must offer the phone uh, as a uh, as a SIM free version as well as uh, you know as a SIM version which potentially obviously could be subsidized. Uh, 
and if that's their law, then uh, there's a sticking point for Apple because Apple was obviously hoping to, with the carriers, that they get the revenue sharing deals. Uh, and Apple are not going to want to sell the phone to a, you know, or offer the phone through a carrier or through a, you know, into a country that's they're not going to be able to secure those sell the revenue sharing deals that they've managed to secure in other countries. I must admit, I was, you know, surprised that Apple have been able to secure the revenue sharing deals that they have up to now. But it looks like they're going to have a bit of a problem launching it in France. Uh, do you think that the, uh, the French people or the French government are going to start? Uh, I mean, because they've caused some problem in the past, haven't they, with uh, with iTunes? Uh, Elaine, I remember you were telling me about that. So it's a story that you heard where uh, they would, uh, the French people were trying to uh, get iTunes, or iTunes, Apple and iTunes were threatening to walk out of France. Yes, that wasn't too long ago either. It was only the last couple of months. Um, it was all to do with the DRM issues. These laws in France do seem to be very different from the rest of the European Union. And um, the situation was that uh, pretty much like you've got to have unlocked iPhones, you've got to have unlocked music. Um, it went on, uh, high-level politics arguments went on, and um, it did get to the point where Apple had threatened to shut up shop and move out. Um, I think from memory what happened was in the end the French people weren't happy because you know they've spent their money on their iPods what are they supposed to do? So um, it's kind of petered out, it died a bit of a death that but uh, yes it seems to be in France they seem to have rules all of their own don't they? Um, I'm always reading stories in Britain oh we can't do that because EEC rules are but France they seem to do their own thing and of course uh, whoever's promoting this idea over, over in France situation won't have been helped by the uh, bricking of the iPhones with the updates this week I don't think they are uh, au fait necessarily with this level of control of their products so um, don't think that will have helped at all Mike have you got any take on this? Um, no not, not really on this one it's it's something that I, I read a couple of months ago, uh, but I've not really kept up up to date with the story. Um, but it's it, again, it's it's something that uh, they need to sort out because um, if they don't, they're going to have major issues with it. Uh, it is going to affect sales, um, and and the, the bricking issue obviously is, is going to be a problem. Um, the various other issues in, in, in other countries. I have read a, a couple of, of things about other countries where they've, they're, they're potentially going to have uh, problems with the iPhone. Um, one of those things that needs sorting out. Yeah, I mean, just quickly before we move on, I mean, the bricking issue, uh, just to you know, make it clear, I mean, it's not... Apple haven't actually, you know, or it's not been confirmed yet that Apple and their recent software updates has purposely uh, gone out and bricked in inverted commas the phone and you know made the phones completely inoperable but it does appear that that has been the case with a hell of a lot of phones out there and that's why I believe that this could you know these kind of issues are really you know could affect sales and the European launches because potentially there would have been a lot of phones uh, a lot of iPhones uh, bought with the sole you know with the plan you know the foresight in mind uh, that they were going to be unlocked. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed on eBay recently, there's quite a lot going out there that for sale that uh, have been unlocked. And I believe that when the when the phone first gets launched, you're limited to buying, I think, two phones. But after a while, I think in America, they were 
allowing you to go, walk into a shop and buy five phones in one go for one customer so and and i believe that has been happening so surely if people going in buying that many phones they were uh, obviously using the software and applications to you know that are available uh, to to unlock them uh, you know and obviously sell them on and usually so in this country you're not allowed to buy more than two of any phone even right. if you go in argus and you just want to buy two pay as you go vodafones you, you are limited in some to places you, you're actually just limited to one mm. Yeah, so I don't know how Apple are going to get around the rules of selling five. Well, limited, limited in in this country. I mean, we're talking about like well, you mentioned then about buying page go phones. Uh, I didn't realise that there, there was a, you know there because don't forget the way Apple have sought out the activation of this phone and actually tying it to you. Uh, when you buy the phone, you're buying the phone still sealed in its box, and you take it home and activate it yourself on your own through your own iTunes software, don't you? You so in a sense, you, when you buy the phone, it's it's the software in it is locking it down to the network. But at that point, it's still not being activated on that network, and it's you know in a sense, so it, they're not they're not activating it there in the shop, are they? No, uh, they're not. And they're I was not, speaking you know, to somebody who knows about those things last week, and um, no, that that what they do is they sell you a sealed box. Um, you literally you go away with it. There's no paperwork like there used to be if you'd signed up in in store for a contract. Um, you take it home, you attach it to your iTunes setup, and uh, everything happens online. So that's why uh, I believe you could walk into a shop and, and feasibly buy several. Uh, you know because they're not they're not tying you to the contract there and then are they? You know, and so in other words, they're not saying they're not doing the credit checks on you there and then are they in nope. the shop? You know, for you to be able to. Uh, Oh, but then again, I did read. That's just another quick thing. I, if you know, someone like myself is planning on buying uh, an iPhone, I did read somewhere that they're not accepting cash if you actually want to walk in and buy an iPhone over the counter. I, I, I did read that you have to use a card for the purpose. Of, that's part of the, the the credit check process and part of the fact that you you I don't know. You must be you have to be eighteen or something. Uh, I remember reading somewhere that they won't accept cash. Oh no, I hadn't heard that. Oh, I'll have to dig that out and put it in the show notes, but I'm sure. You it, will it, indeed have to dig that. It out. was on, uh, you know, I think it was on the Carphone Warehouse website, you know, because Carphone Warehouse is going to be another retailer uh, for the iPhone. Uh, so I'll, I'll get that up and uh, copy in, in, into the show notes. So yeah, and it's uh, and that that must be part of there, you know, the fact that you're not activating it, you're not signing any documentation in the store, uh, you're walking in paying for it, you know, not actually handing the cash over, but paying for it with a card and walking out. So, in a sense, they've got your details. I'm, I'm guessing maybe, you know, like having had bought sell your phones in the past, the IMAI number might be uh, on a barcode on the outside of the box that they might scan and, and things like that. So, this it's a, it's a touchy issue at the moment uh, because, I mean, we started off the conversation about you know, being delayed in France due to the, the unlocking laws, but... The whole it's a bit of a minefield for Apple at the moment. Uh, you know, they're so concerned about uh, keeping it locked down to the carrier, and I can see why because they've got this carrier agreement for the revenue sharing, uh, and it's just it is new uh, for the mobile phone industry and, and and for the punters. You know, for us Joe public, it's a new system, and nobody's used to buying a phone in in this manner, and it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out really. Well, you'll so, be there, day of release, first in queue. <laughs> I know you. Are we well? Are we having a mass contingent there in the queue? 
Oh, we are. We are. We'll do a, we'll, we'll do a sort of semi-live show from there. We'll interview people in the queue. Oh, well, I'll be in disguise. <laughs> well, one thing we haven't found out yet is if uh, it's going to be a, a late opening like they did in America, uh, where they closed the store at around 4pm and then reopened at 6pm for the actual launch of the sales. Well, my insider says they don't know yet either. Right. And so... that they won't know until early November. So, right, so it's early days, no speculation yeah. there because we don't know whether you're right or not. I'm getting too excited too early, aren't I? You are. You are. <laughs> I told you, I, this is going to be a, obviously a regular the thing. The question is, are you going to be able to sustain this level of excitement until the 9th? <laughs> it's going to get worse. Oh dear. It's going to get worse. Oh dear. Right, move so, on, move, move on. on. Move on, move on. So. Rest of the news articles. Well, we've done a couple of uh, bigger articles that you know, bigger news items. So, a couple of small news items to finish off with. Uh, I've got this new little thing now where we're calling it the good, the bad, and the ugly. Every week, there's going to be a little good thing that's uh, nice and cheery to know, uh, a little bad thing that's uh, can, uh, we should need sorting out, uh, and something that's downright ugly that's a bit of a mess. Uh, this week's little good thing is uh, going to be. Uh, some news there to do with uh, the iPod Touch, which is a similar device really to the iPhone. A lot of people are going to be, I think it's going to be a massive seller this year uh, for coming up to Christmas because basically we're talking it's uh, an iPhone without the phone, as uh, some people are describing it. And one of the great features of the iPod Touch is it's still got the Safari browser and it's still got the uh, 802.11g Wi Fi access, uh, Wi Fi device built in. So, of course, you want to be able to use this Wi Fi access. And good news is uh, the cloud uh, for, that operates seven and a half thousand or approximately seven and a half thousand Wi-Fi access points in this country uh, are going to be doing a nice new deal for iPod Touch users, and it's specifically for iPod Touch users. And it's going to be three ninety nine a month for unlimited access, unlimited usage, and that sounds pretty good, pretty reasonable to me. That does uh, their normal price, I think, is nine ninety nine for the unlimited access. Uh, so uh, that uh, sounds very reasonable. It's a special uh, deal for iPod Touch users. And moving on, uh, this week's bad news. Uh, I don't know whether you've realised this. I mean, the beautiful, beautiful device that the new iMac is has been played by some interface freezing uh, problems. Uh, there's been some news coming out that certain uh, some users have been reporting problems with the iMac uh, freezing, uh, where the the whole interface, the, the video, would freeze. Although even if you were running certain applications in the background, like for example, you, if you had uh, some music playing, that would continue. It's just that you'd lose control of the interface and you couldn't. Uh, so the computer didn't completely shut down. It's just that the video interface was uh, totally unresponsive. You couldn't click on anything and things to that effect. Some people suspect it was an issue with the new ATI Radeon graphics card. Uh, and there's been some recent updates, uh, some Mac, iMac or software updates, but they haven't resolved it. Now well, that news came out uh, towards the end of, uh, of of last week, and but the latest very news this weekend that has just come out is Apple has issued a statement confirming that some iMacs are suffering screen freezes, and they suspect it's because of a one of the recent software update updates has possibly caused this. Uh, so the now Apple have said that they have confirmed that there is a fault, and they're promising that fix will be released uh, as soon as possible. So. Not too bad, you know, no need to panic there, but uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a bad news because this beautiful and new iMac is, uh, you know, is a new device and you know, a new machine uh, with some new hardware in it, uh, but uh, there's a, some minor issues there. Uh, so that's the, the bad weather. This week's 
really well we, what we couldn't mention ugly without mentioning sorry microsoft uh so <laughs> we can only <laughs> give the, we'll have to give this week's ugly award to uh the new microsoft zoom 2 none of us in the uk are really on maybe a, a few people in the media have uh but none of us in the uk have, have really got our hands on the last zoom the beautiful brown device that it was uh, but this year's new brown is now uh, a sick green, is uh, the only way of describing it. Uh, the new Zoom 2 is a new flash-based, smaller MP3 player than the original Zoom. Uh, but they're still keeping the original Zoom as well, but uh, they've changed the interface on that. And they've got this new, well, how can I describe it? This new controller at the front, so their version of uh, the iPod's click wheel, for example, uh, is... Uh, you can't a, pronounce it, can you? I can't pronounce it. It's, it's a squirkle. A squirkle. I feel like vomiting when I actually say the word it's squirkle. I look at the green colour and I try and say the word and I'm going to be sick. So yeah, last year's catchphrase and buzzword that everybody mocked the Zoom for was when the Microsoft, uh, one of the Microsoft uh, heads of the Zoom MP3 department uh, used the terminology squirt for sending uh, MP3 tracks you know, between Zoom players. And of course, this year's, you know, and, and they got mocks on chronic for that. So this year's mocking thing facility for the Zoom is going to be the squirt, squirt, how do you say it? It's squirkle. Squirkle. You squirt with your squirkle. Can't wait. Can't wait to uh, to, to get my hands on that one. So that's uh, this week's Do we ugly. have any idea when it is going to be released in Europe? Why? Why are they they're holding back from that? I can't understand because surely... When they got launched last year, we could possibly understand that, yeah, they're trying it out in the American market. Now, they're claiming that they did get uh, expected sales figures and the their music store was, uh, you know, they had some sub subscription models, which sounded quite interesting, to be honest with you. Uh, but still, they not took it outside the US. And now, with the new uh, Zoom 2 coming out, with a new Flash-based player, redesign interface, in, in theory, you believe that yeah, fixed any early bugs and things like that, and still no sign of it coming outside the US. Incredible, incredible. Microsoft. That's. Uh, I think that just about finishes our news. We finish on a high, on a well, a high note in the respect that yeah, maybe we're fortunate we're not going to get that ugly green thing. We won't be here for Christmas. No, good on. Well. Fancy that! Fancy trying to launch that when we've got them beautiful new iPod Nanos. Maybe that's why it's not been released in Europe yet. Well, it could be a New Year treat. Oh right. When everybody's run out of money and they're sitting there looking at it and lusting after one, not. Well, they're going to say they also well they do the sick green, but they also do a putrid pink, which is obviously in time for uh, for Valentine's Day. Is that what we're going to get for then? Is it? Have you oh seen, dear. Have you seen the pink? I have. Oh, it's. Uh, I have. It's the, it's the colour of uh, Lady Penelope's car, I think. It's not good. No, no. It was actually, um, changing the subject slightly, um, a re report came out that said, you know, that the technology companies are putting out products in pink um, to attract women to buy them, and women actually find them most offensive, and the sales are dropping. So I'm glad to say, just in time for Microsoft to bring a pink one out. <laughs> just in time. Well, there's, uh, yeah, I'm sure that uh, there'll be another... Uh, head might be rolling there soon because it was the last. Uh, it wasn't so long ago that uh, a few heads were rolling in Microsoft because of uh, some decisions that have been made, uh, namely in, in the Xbox division uh, and also in the Zoom division. So 
Anyway, so I think that covers our news this week. But yeah, uh, we, I know we strayed away from our Apple favourite news, but uh, we've shortly we're going to have to uh, mention some of our rivals, uh, you know, in, in, to the Apple ecosystem. Uh, you can't let a Zoom launch go by without <laughs> laughing your socks off. <laughs> we're not really going to be knocking Microsoft every week, but just uh, every other week. Quite no, often. but it's the first episode, and we've got to set the tone. <laughs> we could in we. We so could introduce a section knocking Microsoft, couldn't we? It could have its own dedicated section. Well, uh, well, if we do a search, I bet there's a few podcasts that are actually just dedicated to that, isn't there, really? There's well, we'll see what the listeners want. We'll ask for the listeners' opinions, <laughs> whether we should have it. I'm sure that every week there well, will... Well, we could, we could call it the Squirkle section. I can't say it, so we can't. We can have Squirkle Awards. You can't get me to introduce it anymore because I can't say the word. I can't get it out. We'll cope. We'll cope. (laughs) Anyway, that's the news for this week. Weekend in, well, we'll call it Friday the 5th. uh, These are the kind of news stories that are coming out. Uh, So hopefully by the time you get this podcast uploaded, uh, we'll be getting ready to start taking in the new week's news. Till the next time. And now it's time for Switcher's Corner, where we look at a commonly used feature on Windows and how to perform a task on the Mac. Today's topic is browsers. Under Windows we probably used Internet Explorer or Firefox or maybe even Opera, but what's everyone using on their Mac? So uh, who, who'd like to, uh, to tell us what they're using on their Mac? Well I'll jump in and say that I use mostly Safari. I thought it was a natural choice. Safari was there as soon as I started my Mac. I didn't feel as if I had to go installing any extra ones. But since I've been using it, I have installed a couple of extra ones. Because don't forget, I mean, I was new to the Mac myself. And thinking that uh, the software that I got with the Mac would cope with everything I needed. But there are some stupid, really, really badly designed websites that really annoy you don't render properly in the in the Safari browser and I have had to switch to using other or trying other uh, browsers but I'll hand on heart I do find that I'm using Safari more often I find that to be the fastest Elaine what do you think um, well when I came to the Mac I'd already been using Opera on the PC so I was really pleased that I could install Opera and I even managed to transfer all my settings which was a bit of a difficult thing but I managed it so I was really comfortable that my browser was identical on the Mac as it was on the PC but what happened over time was um, Opera was quite slow when I switched it probably wasn't a universal binary um, the good thing about Opera was it had all my passwords in it had all my bookmarks in it all my pre- preferred settings where it became tricky to use on a Mac was apart from the fact it was pretty slow um, I don't know if you've noticed, but on Windows you have a yes and a no button or an OK and a cancel. And the OK tends to be, um, I can't remember now if it's on one side, the left side or the right, but it's on one side. And on the Mac it's the other way around. And what I was finding was it was saying OK or cancel and I was constantly clicking the wrong one and wondering why nothing was happening. So with that and the speed issues, I too went over to Safari. Um, I find on its own, it's, it's very quick. But it lacks some of the finesse of the other browsers. It's not quite there on its own. But what I did was um, I started adding a few plugins to it. 
I've got things installed like 1Password, which handles all my passwords. I've got uh, SAFT installed. I don't know if you've heard of that. That adds quite a few features to it. Um, I've got a search feature installed that you recommended to me, well, the name of which escapes me. Inquisitor, Inquisitor that's the one. Uh, I had Nightmare installing it, but it's installed now. And um, that helps with the searches. So to, to me, my first browser of choice is Safari, but definitely with all the plugins that I've added into it. But I've got quite a few browsers installed. I've got Safari, Opera, Camino, Netscape Navigator. Um, oh, no way. Yeah. It still exists. It still exists. It's now in version 9, and they've just released this week uh, RC1. So there's, there's going to be a big launch of it, I'm sure. It's quite a nice browser. It's very lightweight. It works with a lot of the plugins that work in Safari. Uh, the good thing about all these browsers, and I've also got Shearer and Firefox, is that a lot of the key combinations are the same. So it doesn't matter which browser you're in, you know, Command and T for a new tab, Command and N for a new window, Command and L to go to the URL bar. So they're all the same. So I find uh, that... If I'm logged into uh, Gmail, say, and I want to log in on another account, I'll just open up a different browser because obviously in one session you can't be logged in twice. And that's what I use them all for. So what about you, Mike T? Well, I'm going to say that it's it's three out of three for Safari um, because it's the browser that's there. I mean, we've said that um, the, the browser that's built into Windows is Internet Explorer, but we don't necessarily use it. Um, but because the, the browser that's built into uh, to the Mac is Safari and, and it's it's actually usable. Uh, I use it, but like you said, um, I was using Opera on the PC, so I've got Opera installed on the Mac, um, but I, I did find it and I still do find it slow uh, to use and slow to start, whereas I do find uh, Safari is great. And I also like the fact that uh, it integrates so well with address books, so if I wanted to, to send a link to a page, you, you just go file mail link to page and it just fires up your address book um, and and as you say with the plugins like uh, Saft and, and Red Snapper and, and other utilities it's it's a great uh, great no, browser I mean, one thing I'll say is when we're talking about plugins everybody that I know you know that's a little bit tech savvy has always said that Firefox the reason to one of the main reasons to use Firefox was because it's so what is a new word for you? Pluginable. <laughs> there were so <laughs> many plugins you could get for Firefox, and it it was renowned for that. There was there is and there's, there's I mean people were like messing about with not only with the themes but with the really useful plugins. Now I didn't realise only up until recently that Fire, uh, Safari itself has got some great plugins out there. Uh, there was a particular website uh, that's give me a, a resource for them, which I'll put that up shortly i'll bring that up for you but we can put it on the show notes anyway that uh, give me a list of some useful safari plugins uh but have you got is there something why you sometimes find yourself you know i said sometimes there's a, a, a particular web page doesn't render properly in in safari uh can you think of an example of that or i i can yeah uh when i look at weekly is the um Institute of IT Trainings Connect site uh, that doesn't uh, that doesn't render properly in Safari, so I, I have to use Opera or one of the other browsers for and, that. And, and surely you'd have thought this day and age with web standards, you did you It's surprising that these issues are, st are still happening. You know, th th this is still a problem. 
I can't believe it myself. You know, I'd have thought that with web standards these days that everybody was able to create, a, you know, a page that can render in any in any browser engine. I would imagine they, so mm. by now. Um, I think it's just that they really can't be bothered. Uh, when I started using Opera on the PC, um, if I found a page that wouldn't work in it, oh, I'd complain. Um, I was the, the nightmare client who would be ringing up and sending emails and saying, you know, it doesn't work in my browser and my browser standards compliant, so why doesn't it work? And you'd just get back, well, we've built it for Internet Explorer, which is all very well, but, you know, I don't really want to be using Internet Explorer. I actually switched to Opera um, at a time when I'd been using Internet Explorer on a laptop um, and it, it was just a standard installation of Windows on it, you know, it came with it, I hadn't done anything strange. And it, Internet Explorer refused point blank to display any graphics at all. So I thought, well, I needed a different browser on it. Um, I just about got Opera installed, ready to, to test it, and uh, Internet Explorer trashed the entire laptop. I had to rebuild it completely. So after that, I really didn't want to use Internet Explorer. So I always really push the fact that, you know, it doesn't work in my browser. And I found that people, once you tell them and you explain, um, they were quite receptive. And I actually got a couple of emails back from large computer companies who said, um, you know, six months ago you wrote and said it didn't work in your browser. We've had the site updated and we can now say that it does work in and it lists the browsers and Opera was one of them. So um, I now do the same on it's with Safari. I haven't found too many sites that don't work. Um, one of the sites that used to bug me in Opera was um, bank sites. A lot of them insist on Internet Explorer. And um, there were ways around it. You could change connection strings and things and force it to connect. But Safari actually likes my bank site, so I don't have any problems with that anymore. Mainly the sites that uh, don't work too well for me are the ones with um, very heavily populated Web2 components i've got some mail sites that just don't work at all that's probably when i would switch to camino first of all if i'm already using camino then i'd probably run shearer and one of the things i use firefox for which is a really nice feature you mentioned add-ins and plugins for it firefox has got a really nice add-in for google notebook and it puts an icon at the bottom and you can just click it and your notebook appears in a page and I'm not sure that that add-in is available for anything else. Maybe one of you oh, guys right. has where, heard where it. The Google Notebook, where does that... Is that stored on like like a Google Doc on the web? It is, and um, right. it's like a, a collaborative thing. So um, I, ha I went oh. up and had a look. I, I read something about it, and I thought, well, I'll go and have a look at it. And somebody mentioned that one of the things that makes the Google Notebook really usable is that they've got this plugin, and you literally, it stores your login information. So just one click on this little icon at the bottom, and it loads in your Google Notebook. You can carry on, you can research with it, you can copy and paste stuff to it. So it's very, very nice. The, the annoying thing with it is it's sort of Firefox only. If I had that capability in the browser that I use all the time, it would be fantastic but it's not quite there yet but it's well worth looking at if you have got Firefox installed um, that's one of the add-ins I would recommend well, I mean I I think Firefox though you've got to be careful where you can end up adding so many add-ins and and then it does start to slow down and I, I, I think Firefox has gone through quite a few updates in recent times hasn't it and I did suspect I mean I tried, I tried to 
one of the reasons I'm going to say my little gripe with Safari and why I decided to go back to try and use uh, Firefox and even Camino was I was having problems with Safari with ad blocking. Too many websites now wind you up sort of chronic, don't they? Because the the adverts have got more content than the bloody content of the web page itself. And you know, so the you know the information that you're trying to get is is drowned out by all the flash animated uh, advertisements that are on some of the banners. And I noticed that a particular page was you know really slow, and and then I realised that using uh, I've got menu meters running at the time. It's another little application we'll talk about in the future. But menu meters is a nice little thing. Tells you what's how much of a drain something's having on your system. And opening one web page in Safari that's full of these animated banners was really, you know, draining the system resources because it was uh, having to animate everything like it was doing. If I open the very same page in Camino that was blocking everything, this the system was hardly being troubled at all. And so then I had to that, you know, I was struggling then to find a decent ad blocking utility for Safari. So I went back to Firefox got fed up with uh, Firefox because it was a bit slow started using Camino that was and it was you to be honest with you Delaine that uh, suggested Camino to me and I do I find that Camino is is nice to use nice and slick uh, and it does seem to be you know quite fast but back to default and I don't know maybe it's because I'm a recent switcher that I seem to like enveloping myself in this Apple world and you know in the ecosystem at the moment and so I've gone back to Safari and I found, though, because of the recommendation of talking about the little plugins that you can get, uh, the website that was mentioned that had escaped me a minute ago, have just come back to me, is uh, pimpmysafari.com. Oh, good name. And, uh, uh, pimpmysafari.com is a cracking website, and that introduced me to a, a good plugin for Safari for blocking me ads. It's called Pith Helmet. And if you, if you go to pimpmysafari.com, uh, it has... Uh, a listing of uh, all, you know different types of plugins that are worthwhile. Uh, you know, obviously some of them are even you know you have to pay for to be honest with you, but you could certainly try them out. Uh, but it does there's the the essential three it says, and it says if you only install three, make it these is the headline at the top of the web page when you have a look, and it lists Saft, Pit Helmet, and Safari Stand, and I've installed Pit Helmet and it made a great difference straight away for. Uh, how, how capable is Safari at blocking the you know the advertisements that were really a drain on system resources? So I'm back to Safari. I know I keep switching, trying when I've needed to, but no, I, I think Safari with some of the updates it's had in recent times has been able to render pages that it couldn't render before. Definitely, I think it's had some updates like that. And that talking about updates though, we're back onto the subject. Of, you know, we're onto the subject of there's a new beta release of Safari, Safari three. Have any of us tried using it yet? Because I haven't. I've not used no, it. No, I, I don't right. trust installing that. No, um, I'm not. I don't want to. Don't want to uh, try a beta. Not for something like a browser. Well, I've always been. I mean, I've I've always been one for experimenting. You know, even back on my Windows days, I'd install just about anything going, and I volunteer for anything. Yeah, go on for beta trials for anything, and it's going to be great because in the coming weeks of, uh, of our podcasting we'll be talking about some of the betas that I've tried and, and now come to useful to be useful programs but the reason I didn't install Safari 3 is because from someone else's experience at uh, our Northwest Mac user group uh, told me about what their experience was 
they didn't realise and it didn't really make it clear to them when they downloaded and installed it was that unfortunately the Safari 3 beta does completely take over your Safari 2 installation and you've lost your Safari 2 and that I was a bit of a deal because I thought I like the idea of trying the beta and I certainly would give it a chance and experiment with it but to find you know to hear that it wipes out my Safari 2 I thought that's going to be too much messing that and I didn't want to you know risk that so I'll, I'll give them chance now I mean yeah I guess it Safari 3 is going to be fully launched with Leopard that's uh, due out at the end of the month we hope uh, so that's the reason why I didn't install Safari 3 because I believe it completely wipes out your Safari 2. Okay, and on that note, uh, thanks guys for all your comments. Um, that's Switch's Corner for today. And uh, next time we'll be looking at handling mail on the Mac. So whether you used to use Outlook or any other mail client, now we've switched over to the Mac. What do we use and how are we finding it? Right, and now we're on to the software review. Uh, and in light of our discussion earlier about browsers, I thought we'd have a look at one of the add-ins that we talked about, which is called Saft. Unusual name, lots and lots of features. Now, um, I found this by accident when I was looking for plugins for Safari. I literally cannot remember what specific feature was missing that I was looking for, but I came across Saft. And on its homepage, the list is endless of features that it has. Um, there's everything from the basics of ad blocking, uh, banner blocking, right through to more obscure things that, to be honest, I didn't even notice Saft had added to it. It was one of the products that I got very early on um, in my Mac ownership. It's very reasonably priced. It's only $12, which is about £6. And for all it adds, it's utterly amazing. The big things that you'll notice are things like um, ad blocking. The smaller things that you might not notice, for instance, um, I read an article and people were saying about the new beta of Safari 3. Oh, you can move the, tags, uh, the tabs about now. And I thought, well, you've always been able to do that. And when I actually looked at the list of features in Saft, no, it was the fact that Saft had added the capability for me. It's unusual. It's not like a plugin, putting a plugin into Firefox or another browser, because what it does, it installs as an application, but it is actually a plugin for Safari. It gives you on your preferences. When you go to um, Safari preferences, it gives you a whole extra section. Um, so after you've got autofill security advanced, you'll find Saft at the end. And inside that, it's got configuration options. So it looks as though that's it for Saft, that that's the control of it and that is all it does. And it's very deceptive. What you will find in that section in preferences um, are the ad blocker configurations. You'll also find shortcuts. Now, I found those very, very useful when I first started using Safari. What the shortcuts are, let's say you go to the BBC News site every day and you find yourself typing um, you know, bbc.co.uk slash news slash UK repeatedly. Well, what you can do with a Saft shortcut is put in a shortcut, say the word news. You can assign that shortcut to a URL and give it a more descriptive name as well. And then when you go to your address bar and you type in news and press enter, it will take you straight to that site. So you can have a hugely long URL and literally just use two characters if you want. Um, I use a local computer supplier and I shorten its address to two characters and press enter and it takes me straight there. That, so that is wow. a, that is a feature. It's like, like 
It's like putting Quicksilver in your address bar. Yeah, it's amazing that. It is an amazing feature. I think that was probably the feature that I was looking for because it's a feature that's built into Opera and I'd added, ooh, tens and hundreds of them and I really missed that. So to be able to add it back to Safari was amazing. What I will say about that feature is it is incredibly useful. I'm not taking anything away from Saft at all. It's a fantastically useful feature. However, as we discussed in, in browsers, you may find yourself forced to use a different browser for a different job. And of course, if your shortcuts are in Saft, they are locked into Safari. So if for whatever the reason you were using Netscape or you were using Firefox and you type in news, it isn't going to get you there. So what I've actually done with the uh, shortcuts, the feature that I really loved about it, I've actually managed to take that feature outside of the browser and I've managed to make it browser independent. And how I've done that is I've got two applications that um, are really key loggers in effect. They watch everything that you type all the time and they expand certain shortcuts. So what I do is I use a special key which I actually use the section key at the top, which is just under escape. And uh, it's because I would never, ever use that normally. So I use that as a special key and then I put the shortcut after it. And what that gives me with the help of these applications, I'm sure we'll look at the, those applications in the future, is browser independent shortcuts. So I've actually taken it a step further. But if you only use Safari, then by all means, keep all your shortcuts in there. What you can do there, you can add them, you can put them into groups. It's really a very, very powerful feature. Definitely worth looking at. Uh, you've also got in there, it will let Safari become full screen um, and run um, one of the features that I think Internet Explorer used to have, run as a kiosk. So that ability is added. There's then um, some miscellaneous features in there. But the power of Saft lies in the number of things it can do. Um, when you see the website, and we'll put the address in the show notes, the list goes on and on. Um, I'm looking at that list now and I can't believe it. It's uh, it's amazing. And what happens is, rather than everything being in a control panel, really, in the preferences... The features that you'll use, things like bookmarking a group of tabs, that was something that, again, was in Opera. I was used to doing it. It was convenient. I went to Safari. It was missing. Saft adds that feature back in, but it doesn't do it by putting a Saft menu. And all those features are available only from that Saft menu. What it does, it puts, it adds menu items for all those features in the place that you would look for them. And in that respect, it's so integrated, it's just like the feature was always there. Whoever the developer is, hats off to him. Fantastic. It's, it's got growl support as well. Yeah, it's brilliant. The stuff it's got in there, absolutely amazing. I'm looking at this list, Elaine, and uh, there's a feature list, and it's a load of bullet points on their website. I'm looking at it now, yeah, and it's a massive list. But why is there some of them crossed out and got you know had a strike through added right the strike through is added when this has been going from previous versions there is a version oh, for tiger right. there's also a version i think it goes back to jaguar and panther as well even that far back and what happens is as apple 
see this list and they add a few features to Safari, the developer crosses them off. It was a feature that um, was there in a previous version but is no longer needed. So that's why... There's only three. Yes. <laughs> there's not there's too many three, crossed off but the ones that have crossed off are actually pretty useful. Um, one of the ones, for instance, is the title, timestamp, URL and page number being printed out when you print. And when I first got um, my Mac, that didn't happen. So... Um, they added that after, and he then crossed it off his list. Well, because I said uh, earlier that uh, the I've, machine that I'm using is, uh, is Elaine's old 20-inch one, um, I just took it for granted that these features were there, um, which is great. So I'm actually using the software day in, day out, uh, without realising it's there. It just integrates so well, so tightly with Safari. It's great. We're not including the strikethrough ones. As I'm trying to count this list while we're there, but there's over 50 items. There's over 50 extra features then that this is adding to my Safari browser. And if you work that out as costing about £6, it's a fantastic value for money. Uh, one of the features that um, had me flummoxed for a little bit was um, if you go to Google and you do a search, when you get your results back, there's usually some sponsored sites so one of the things to watch out for is if you've got your ad blocker turned on and you do a Google search in Safari and it brings back any sponsored sites. If you click it, it looks like it's going to go there and you get a message to say the site can't be found. And what's happening is it's blocking. Uh, it thinks it's a, a site full of adverts and it's blocking it. So you do have to turn that off um, to go to specific sites, but you can just quickly turn it off, turn it back on again. Um, and in I've not seen a pop-up since I've been using it, so that's uh, another fantastic feature. And when you've gone through and you've you've configured Saft and all its options to work the way you want to work, the good news is you can then save those out, so you don't have to reconfigure the whole thing. You know, if you need to reinstall your Mac. So I'd say for the price of it, absolutely amazing. It is one of the three must-haves on that wonderfully named PimpMySafari.com site. But uh, the, the amount of things it adds, I'm not surprised. I'd say it is the must-have. No, I'll be honest. I mean, I went to pimpmysafari.com uh, purely on the grounds I was looking for an uh, a pretty decent ad blocker. And I picked Pithelmit because I thought, that's an ad blocker. That does what it says it's going to do. And I'm not concerned about anything else. But I'll be honest with you. Now I've looked at what the feature list of Saft, it's doing ad blocking as well but so much more now I, i'll just try and you know play devil's advocate here one of the reasons i started to lose uh, interest with using firefox i started using firefox when i was on a window when i was a windows user and i came over to the mac and i, I carried on using firefox uh, for a period of time but i got pretty much got fed up with it um, because i felt as if it was slowing down now one i thought at first there'd been a few updates in firefox that had slowed it down but then i started to wonder is it all these plugins that i'd installed uh now so my devil's advocate question is here have you not i mean well, the reason we've agreed that we like safari is because it's pretty fast have you not realized that there's surely these pages are rendering slower now and things like that while it's doing all its bits in the background no nope, not at all um, I started using, uh, like I said, Safari because I was finding it that on a Mac it was way faster than um, Opera was. And I, I only used it for a few short weeks. I thought, like you, mm, if it adds this many features, it could slow it down. But no, it doesn't slow it down at all. 
Not at all. Sold. There you go. Sold to the man in the so corner. Yeah. Can we assume for our next uh, foray into our podcast, you will have bought it, installed it, I, tried it? I, well, for, for that money as well. <laughs> it's only $12. It I is. I can't believe it. It is. It's a, it's a nice purchase as well. And when you, you get free updates, um, there is a version out uh, that will support Safari 3. So already the developers found stuff that's missing from Safari 3. Um, but as we all said, we've not risked Safari 3 yet. So I don't actually know what those features are and you know what extra it might add to the new browser. But I'm sure when we've all got Leopard and uh, we are on Safari 3, we'll uh, endeavour to find out. Oh, I'm glad about this now. I'm glad we've, you know, you've uh, pointed this out because I'd stop using Firefox because it become bogged down with all the third-party plugins. But in this case here, these, you know, it's a set of features, not necessarily just working as a plugin, but it's the fact that they're coming from one place rather than I think what was hindering my my Firefox installation was all the plugins were fighting with each other because they're all coming from different directions from different developers. And I do wonder if that's possibly half the problem. Here, they've got all the features and more that I want, but they're coming from the one direction. Well, it seems to, it seems to work seamlessly. Um, some of the things that I've seen, I have had Safari crash on me. Usually, I, I've got far too many pages open, and it, it has crashed. But Saft adds crash protection. So as soon as I restart it, it's remembered what pages I had open. It gives me a dialog box and says, um, the last time Safari started it, it shut down unexpectedly um, do you want me to open the same pages you had open yeah. it lets me expand the dialog box and see what pages they were and if it was a bad site that i was at that i thought well that obviously crashed it i can take the tick out of that and choose to restore selectively so i can restore nine out of ten if i want oh, and just no. just not the one that caused the crash now, Firefox does give you that prompt. Firefox gives you the prompt to do you want to restore it, to, but it doesn't <laughs> let you see the specifics of where it was and what could have, you know, so therefore you you can't eliminate that. That's incredibly powerful, that. It is. It's a feature that, again, that Opera used to have that feature, and um, it was a feature that I missed when I came over. So it's one of those things I just, because I'm so used to having it in my browser and, you know, it's always been there, this just extends it and makes Safari absolutely perfect. So it's well, well, well worth a go. We shall expect your report next week. Yeah. Saft is for us then, yep. definitely. So should we give that five stars this week, guys? Oh, right. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> can, I, can I always play devil's advocate? Again? <laughs> I, I'm not going to give it five until I've used it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it only got four and a half mice. I don't know what they thought was wrong with it at Macworld. All right. It only got four and a half miles. It gets five off me. Gets five off well, me. That, I was looking at the Macworld quotes there. They're saying it's so well integrated that you'll soon assume that these features are just part of Safari. And of and course, that's pretty much Mikey you know, T, who inherited a Mac. That's exactly what happened for him. It is. That's right. Super. We're sold. We're sold. Great. And that was this month, uh, this week's look at some software. Let's see if next week, when we are going to be looking at uh, mail software and uh, SpamSiv in particular, where the SpamSiv comes out as well. So until next time, this is it from the Software Review. As you know, we are UK-based, and so here's details of three UK-based events that have caught our eye this week. First of all, the Northwest Mac User Group, who are based at Grappenhall Community Centre in Warrington, have got their October meeting. And that takes place on the 11th, on Thursday the 11th, at 8 o'clock. 
The meeting uh, subject for this month is Garage Band. They've got a professional musician coming in and you'll be shown uh, how to use the instruments on the Mac, experimenting with loops and effects, recording audio and then taking the masterpiece into iTunes to play on your iPod or using other iLife products. Full details of that can be found on the website www.nwmug.co.uk The second event to tell you about is the Mac Live Expo which is taking place at the Olympia in Kensington in London uh, between the 25th and the 27th of October. Showcasing the very best in the digital world, Mac Live Expo returns bigger, better and much, much more personal, giving visitors the chance to get close to the major players in the world of music, photography, film and design. If you fancy checking out the latest Mac, finding out the best camera on the market or rocking at home with the latest iPod accessories, look no further than Mac Live Expo. The new hands-on theatre will give visitors a chance to learn tricks of the trade and the seminar theatre will be hosting a whole series of key debates. For more information, please visit www.macliveexpo.co.uk And finally, the Creative Licence Tour, the Adobe Creative Licence Tour, has rolled into the UK. Join the Adobe experts for some amazing workshops around the UK and the Republic of Ireland. You'll learn the latest tips and techniques for designing and developing amazingly engaging experiences in print, online or any other device. See the all-new Creative Suite family of products along with the latest in cutting-edge web development tools including Adobe Flex and Air. Full details of this can be found on the Adobe website and we will put the details of all those events on our show notes website. Okay well that's about it for this episode of MacBytes. Um, as always though we'd uh, love to hear from you, our wonderful listeners. Uh, you can send us uh, an email, you can send us uh, an audio soundbite, send in your questions, send in your comments, whether it's uh, an MP3 or whether it's just an email, you can send it to macbytesuk at gmail.com. That's macbytes with an I, not a Y. Our next episode, we'll be looking at uh, mail on a Mac for our Switches Corner, and uh, keeping on the theme of mail, we'll be looking at an application called Spamsive, which does exactly what it says on the tin. The three of us are regulars at the Northwest Mac User Group over in Warrington, so uh, hi to any members who are listening, uh, and anyone who wants to uh, look at their website, it's at nwmug.co.uk. We love to hear from any Mac User Group members around the country, or even around the world. Have you got any news? Have you got any plans to start your own podcast? Or do you just want to come on and say hello? Well, with that, it's uh, goodbye and uh, see you next time. I'll see you next time, everybody. I'll have some more iPhone news, I'm sure. I bet you will. It might even be live from the queue. See you next time. And thanks again to all you for listening. Thank you. <laughs>